Today, we're joined by John Gomez of the San Diego. John graduated from the University of San Diego, where he was a member of the football team. He then matriculated to the Yale Law School, where he graduated with honors and returned to San Diego in private practice, went into the government practice, and the back end of the plan of personal injury practice. So how are you doing today, John? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you. John's one of the great trial lawyers here in California and in the country. And I actually had the privilege of uh, doing a trial with John, and we had a great result. So first of all, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you went to school, and uh, how you got into being a lawyer. Sure. Um, my dad was in the Navy, and so as a child, we would kind of bounce back and forth between Virginia and uh, California. He ended up retiring out of San Diego. And so I lived here in San Diego starting at about 12. Um, grew up here, went to a bunch of public high schools here. Um, and like you said, I really wanted to play football. Um, I got hurt my senior year and so didn't have any scholarships. So went to a junior college to play, uh, Grossmont Junior College. From there, I went over to San Diego State and got hurt over there, and I figured out that there was this little program across the way at USD, the University of San Diego, so I decided to go to school there. And so that's where I finished and played uh, four years of football. After that, um, I actually had a buddy um, that was just a friend of mine that was attending Stanford Law School. And he stayed with me my senior year, and he was working at a law firm here in California as a summer associate. And back in the day, the summer associates were treated very well. Um, they would take him out and, you know, he would sometimes invite me. And I saw this life that he lived. And I said, man, that looks pretty good. Um, maybe I'll apply to law school. So he was like the guy that inspired me to go to law school. And now he's a managing partner of Cooley Godward um, here in San Diego. Did you have any idea what you were in for? I had no idea. I just knew. My football days were over. I had no real skills. I didn't want to be a salesperson. And so I figured, why not law? So going from San Diego, and I know you'd lived as a youngster in the East Coast, but going back to Yale, and what was that like going to Yale Law School? It was um, very different for me. I, was, I felt like if you've seen the movie Legally Blonde, you know, this kind of I was the kid in the um, surf trunks and the flip-flops. And so I get over there, had no idea what I was in for. And everybody there is a Rhodes Scholar, graduated number one in their class at Harvard, or their dad's a senator. It was um, super overwhelming, but um, an experience I really enjoyed. So tell us about it. What did you like about going to school there? How was it interacting with the other students? I know they must have all been pretty smart to be going there in the first place. Incredibly smart people, super diverse people. Uh, the cool thing about going to school at a place like that is there's always something going on on the campus. There will be like the prime minister of this, you know, is going to be over on this campus. They're going to have, you know, this performance over here. They're going to have this Nobel Prize winning speaker is going to speak over here. So it's just uh, an, an academic and intellectual experience that I had not had before. Um, the law school itself is a very academic place, not very practical. And so a lot of big thinkers, my evidence teacher was a professor of philosophy, never, never practiced law. 
And so we spent like two months talking about what is truth. That, that'll give you an idea of what Yale Law School is like. So I guess living back in the cold and been in San Diego, it didn't take long for you to decide to head back to San Diego. Yeah, every time I would leave on the plane, I would get depressed when I left here. And every time that I left New Haven, Connecticut, I'd be happy. So yeah, I was happy to get back here. So, so now you're back, you get back to San Diego, you work in a big law firm. How was that? I worked actually, um, I worked at Latham Watkins in Los Angeles. I went to the mothership because I, I wanted to, you know, be in the grind as much as I could be at the center of things. And really the practice up there at the time was really where things happened. Um, it was a grind. I would work every single day. I tell my young associates here, I remember a time that I stayed up for three days at once and I was living in Santa Monica at the time and I was so sleep deprived. I got that final motion filed that when I drove home, the same route I took every day, I got lost on the way home because I was so sleep deprived. That was my life as a young lawyer at Latham Watkins. But then you went, I believe, to the government to work for a while? Yeah, after that, I figured I wanted to try cases. And at least where I was sitting at the time, I clerked for a district court judge and seeing the U.S. Attorney's Office, being a federal prosecutor would give me a chance to do that. So I came back home to San Diego. So once you did that, you got to try cases. Was that something that you felt you, you really liked and wanted to do more of? Yes. Um, I had great success. It seemed natural to me. I enjoyed it. And so, you know, when it came time to leave the government, I was looking for a job that would reward success in trial and a job that I could, you know, help the little guy more than putting people in prison, which wasn't appealing to me at the end. So you gravitated towards the plane of personal injury where you could get a chance to do good for people. You could try cases and if successful, you would be rewarded for the success. Exactly right. It seemed like the perfect job for me at the time. So how, how did you find the differences when going to a plaintiff firm? I know you went to prominent with uh, Craig McClellan, a top lawyer there in, in San Diego and throughout the country. How was the practice different from Latham or the United States attorney when you joined Craig McClellan in a smaller plaintiff personal injury firm? Well, Craig's a great lawyer and great mentor and great teacher. And so um, the big difference for me was the creativity you know, that we as plaintiff's lawyers can be creative in the way we kind of work up our cases. At Latham and Watkins, I wasn't getting anywhere near a courtroom most days, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of creativity. It was just billing, billing, billing. At the, at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I could be somewhat creative, but there's some limitations in the, in, as a prosecutor. As a, a lawyer for people, you know, we could really put our thinking hats on and come up with creative solutions for people and you get the gratitude and the relationship with the actual human being. So after doing that for a while, what was it that drove you to open your own law firm? I just always had a vision of having my own practice and own law firm and own, own approach to sort of running a law firm. And, and so, you know, once I had learned the craft and, you know, gotten, sort of experienced enough. It just seemed natural for me to do my own thing. 
So your firm now is called the Gomez Trial Attorneys, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Also GTA. GTA. Tell us about the makeup your firm and the practice that you're involved in today. Um, we have uh, 16 lawyers. We do uh, mainly personal injury. We have personal injury teams within the firm. Um, we also do uh, mass tort work, uh, pharmaceutical and medical device litigation. We do some class action work. Um, it's a young firm in terms of the age of the lawyers. I've got a bunch of young lawyers that I'm trying to bring up and train and give opportunities to. Um, and so, you know, over the past, we've been open since 2005, but a lot of my people are, you know, sort of, you know, significantly under 10 years of practice. And um, so we, we've, they've got a long ways to go and hopefully I'll be with them. So on that note, uh, you have 16 attorneys or so, and I'm sure there have been various attorneys throughout the years. What are you looking for in a young lawyer or a lawyer that you want to bring into your firm? What criteria, what characteristics do you find uh, end up being successful in your practice? You know, um, I think that's the one thing I've struggled with the most because I've made bad decisions. I've made bad hires that have cost me a lot of money. And so what I've learned, you know, over time is I mainly want people that love what we do, that are willing to commit themselves entirely to what we do. I think it's always going to be hard, you know, if you own the place and run the place to find people that you feel work as hard as you or care as much as you do, you know, but if you can find people that approximate that, you know, or, or at least um, appear to try their very hardest and are willing to do anything and want opportunities. Um, those are the things I'm looking for. So I'm mainly looking for grit, grit, commitment, you know, hard work, being a team player. You know, I just can't have any divisiveness or backstabbing or people talking about each other. You know, I've learned over time that that does not work at all. What about competition do you have competition in your firm is it good is it bad what's your experience with that um we do have competition because we have different teams and so the teams all see each other's numbers for example and so you know i try to you know i don't say hey team a b team b but we're all competitive as lawyers and so it's my hope that by kind of looking at each other's performance you know then that will cause them to perform at a higher level so I try to be a super open book about it. So, you, in other words, you keep track of each team and what cases they've resolved and fees and trials and things like that? Exactly. You know, how long they're taking to resolve cases, how, what, what costs are they carrying, you know, how efficient are they being with their caseload, all those kinds of things. It's like sports, you know, just data-driven. I, I totally agree. And, you, you know, there's no way to really know how someone's performing until you see the scoreboard. <laughs> exactly right. So let's talk about trials. I know you love to do trials. What's the favorite part of a trial for you? Man, there, to me, there's just so many favorite parts. I think over time, the thing that I've grown to enjoy the most is just being in the pocket, cross-examining an adverse witness or an expert, um, and, and just rolling with that in the moment. You know, to me – that's the most akin to competitive athletics or fighting, you know, and, and I like that a lot. 
and it seemed I, I feel like I do it well. Um, there's a lot of parts of trial I like, but that part is the thing that really gives me the rush. Well, I know that you've been uh, attended and a proponent of the Trial Lawyers College founded by Jerry Spence up in Wyoming. Tell us about your experience there and how that's helped you in your practice. I went there, um, you know, now it's got to be like seven years ago. And you go up there for 20-something days on this little ranch in Wyoming. Um, and you really do a series of things to help you discover yourself, the essence of yourself. And through doing that, you know, you can – the theory is that you can better relate to other people and tell their story. And so you learn to sort of discover yourself and then you learn techniques to discover the story of people whose story you want to tell. And so um, to me, the most beneficial part of it has been just finding a certain comfort in myself in front of a jury and also really discovering tools to connect with and tell the stories of my clients. And have you found that to be helpful? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm always studying, always learning, always reading, and pull a little of this and a little of that, but that's definitely, you know, right there in my quiver. Well, I hear you. Uh, I see you speaking quite often and running certain seminars. Do you find that to be helpful for you in your practice? Would you tell others to do that? What do you think about that? I think. Um, you know, speaking I like because it causes me to think hard about a topic and present it appropriately. And I find that by, you know, teaching, I, I cause myself to self-examine and get better. You know, so I think speaking is always good. I, I will attend um, a lot of different seminars. I, I, people that teach trial technique or have ideas or theories about framing or case technique or this or that, you know, I like doing all of that because I like just gathering all of that data, you know, and all of those approaches and see kind of what works for me in the particular case. So I spent a heck of a lot of time doing that and I would encourage anyone to do it. So you're always practicing, trying to get better. All the time. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about some specific. Tell us what was your favorite trial you ever did? Huh. My favorite trial. Or you can give us a couple if you want. Yeah. Yeah, I tried this case um, against Pizza Hut. Um, and there was a Pizza Hut delivery driver that had, had an epileptic seizure. And, you know, she crossed lanes and hit my client's head on. And so I tried that case against um, Jim Yukovich, a good trial lawyer. Um, in that case, um, I really enjoyed working on that case because um, I really had to be creative and the best moment of my trial experience in history was in that case. Cause I put on the delivery driver first as my first witness. And I, it just so turned out she came on about 10 minutes before lunch. And um, there was uh, something that she had said to, uh, the uh, police officer, she said, I blacked out. And so I was cross-examining her on that, on that issue. And I was saying, you know, you told the, the police officer you blacked out, that had a certain meaning to you. And she said what the meaning was. And then I kind of looped back and said, and you told the police officer you're blacked out because the police officer was gonna come and interrupt her testimony at 1.30. And when I did that, 
She goes, she goes, I never said that. I go, you just testified that you did. And she, she took her hands and she slammed them on the bench and she stood up and she walked out of the courtroom and she slammed open the well, slammed the door to the outside. And you hear her in the hallway going, dad, I fucked the whole thing up. And I'm just standing there at the, cause I kind of come up to cross examine. I just standing there. The judge is like, well, ladies and gentlemen, good time for our break. Uh, don't discuss the case. We'll see you back here at one thirty. He runs off the bench, and Yukovic says, um, "Plaintiff's rest." And I just never seen a moment like that in trial. And did you face in that case the sudden medical emergency defense? I did. Yeah. Tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about that defense and how you went about combating and responding to it. Right. The sudden medical emergency defense is one in which an actual sudden unanticipated medical emergency causes, you know, in this case, they claim a, a lack of consciousness. And so if she had no reason to know that she had a seizure coming on, then, you know, that would be an excuse. She would not be negligent. Uh, she would be a reasonable And person. that's kind of the, for, a, let's say you had a marathon runner who's in great shape and all of a sudden has a heart attack out of the blue. How would he ever anticipate that versus the guy that has, diabetes and is overweight and is taking medicine and smoking. It's just a matter of time. Is exactly. that the situation? In her case, um, she had had problems before. Basically she lived in a household where she wasn't super happy with her dad and she wanted to get out of the household to drive. And so she had been diagnosed with um, these seizures before and even had a hold on her license before. You know, but she basically conned the doctor into giving it back to her because she just wanted to drive. She's a 19-year-old kid. And so, you know, she definitely was on notice and knew that she was prone to these seizures. And I think, as I recall, there was some evidence she had had um, an episode, you know, a short time before this as well. Did Pizza Hut, when they hired her, check her background and find anything about that in her driving record? Yeah, we, we tried it on a negligent hiring, um, but all they did was, um, you know, they ran a DMV check and the DMV showed a valid license. And I think that's all they did, as I recall. And um, the jury actually found that they were not negligent in the hiring. They put it all on just her uh, age. Person scope, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But. Today in California, the way the law is, if they admitted agency, you wouldn't be able to get that evidence in in, in exactly. a new case law. That case came in like right after my I tried that case. Diaz v. Camargo, I think it is. Exactly. So in your firm, do you do, you do a lot of trials every year? Definitely try to. Yeah, I tried um, four cases last year. This year, I'd like to try some more, more than that, you know, so I'm looking to try, if I can, about six cases a year, personally, and I want all my lawyers, uh, all my teams to try three or more. That doesn't always happen, but... So how? So you have, what, four or five teams? That's right. Yeah, I have, I have four so teams other than mine. You're hoping to get into double figures for the lawyers in your firm and for trials for a year. That's the idea. And why is it important to you and your law firm to take more cases to trial? And what would be your advice to lawyers out there? Um, The reason I think it's a good idea 
is because, um, you know, one, we have good trial lawyers and good trial lawyers with, you know, decent cases, I think in my experience are always going to do better for their clients in trial versus settlement. And once, you know, your firm, as you know, um, or a lawyer gets a reputation for trying cases, they're going to get paid more on the cases that don't go to trial as well. Um, and so my, my advice is always to lawyers, you know, look for opportunities to try cases, you know, whether that be your own inventory or helping somebody else try a case. Well, and also my experience is that just by doing the trial, no matter how much experience you are, number one, you get better. And number two, you learn something every time you do it, making you better for the next time and for the next client you represent. A hundred percent. You know, I've al I always tell people, um, you know, using you as an example, you know, people say, oh, you know, how do they do it? How do they do it? Well, the, re the way they do it is they do it a lot. You know, they're in the ring a lot. They fight a lot. They try a lot of cases. You know, you can't go and be a professional fighter and never fight. You know, you can't be a trialer and never try a case. Or, or how about this? You hear these lawyers going around saying, you know, I never lost a case. Have you ever lost a case? Yeah, I've lost a lot of cases. And, and does that, how do you deal with that? You know, lawyers are so worried about losing. But if you, my dad, who was a trial lawyer, told me, you know, if you tell you haven't lost a case, you haven't tried very many. And I how do you that. get back? I mean, I know, it, you know, you put your heart and soul into it, into the case. You work 24-7, and then a group of 12 people come back and they reject you. Hmm. And that can't feel good. And how do you deal with that? You know, for the most part, um, as I've gotten more experienced, I realize that some things are not within my control. Um, you know, in the old days, I used to, I would give myself no credit for winning a case. You know, I would say, oh, that case was just a good case. But if the case went sideways, I would blame myself up and down. Um, anymore, I recognize that many of the losses, you know, I have are based upon, you know, factors outside of my control, mainly bad cases that I try and I'm trying to do less of that and or, you know, just, you know, awful, you know, juries and jury selection or, you know, sometimes just things don't go your way. Definitely happens. But at least from our practice and what we try to do, which is you're never completely successful, is the case screening in the front end will save you in the back end. But all or most plant lawyers are always a sucker for a sob story. And do you run into that problem? Maybe taking cases you shouldn't have. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I used to, I used to, it was almost glut. I, I was almost, um, I don't know, uh, self, you know, inflicting. I would try impossible cases because they were impossible and, or because I just felt, you know, emotionally, you know, compelled to do it. But um, I'm trying not to do that anymore. I, I well, have that's a good rule. <laughs> but it happens. I mean, you know, you can't be afraid to lose. And there's going to be cases. And most of the cases is your experience when you go to trial. The good cases, they usually settle. And the harder cases go to trial. 100%. And the funny thing is, I'll be looking at my cases. And I'll be like, oh, here's where I'm going to do well. And here's where I'm going to do well. And a lot of times it's a couple of the cases that I hadn't even thought much about that I end up trying and popping. And those are my big cases, you know, for the year. So it, it's just hard to say. Well, John, we're running out of time. It's been a pleasure to have you there. I know you shared some great pearls of wisdom for our listeners and 
look forward to having you having you back and great uh, luck to you and your firm and keep knocking them dead. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it.